Spring came late that year, lashed with wind and rain and sharp-edged with hunger. In corners where the queen could not hear, people muttered of signs and portents, and said prayers that had nothing to do with the Lord Christ or the good God, although many of them called on our blessed lady. Edith was small and quick, and her ears were keen. When she went wandering, her nurses had long since given up trying to catch her. She might stay away for most of a day, but she always came back. On the day the world changed, she had escaped to the top of the highest tower of her father's dun. The rain had stopped for the first time in days. The wind was fierce, but she was never cold. The people in the wind kept her warm, odd and insubstantial shapes and eerie voices, wrapping her about, singing her songs in their language, and teaching her to see what their people saw. She was a blessed one, they said. She could see through the world. Today she was feeling strange. It was not that she was hungry, although she had given her breakfast to a beggar at the gate. The wind was pressing on her, as if to push her down from the tower and out of the dun and away on the road. South, it sang. South is your way. She clung to the wall, with the wind whipping tears from her cheeks, and glared defiantly northward. Beyond the roll of stony hills and winter-blasted heather, the firth was as grey as iron, flecked white with foam. The folk of the air swirled above her, shrilling their song. You know the way! You know you must! It is fated! I don't want to, she said, not particularly loudly. They could hear her, even if she said it in her heart. They said nothing to that. She wished they had. Then she would have had someone to scream at. But the wind knew what it knew. She could run away, but where would she go? Even if she could see what no one else would admit to seeing, and hear what no one else could hear, and ride as well as a boy besides, she was still a child. There was nowhere she could go, that her father could not find her and bring her back to face something even more terrible than herself. Her lady mother. She drew herself up, there in the wind. They were looking for her. She could feel them. Her mother had remembered her. It was time. The queen inspected her daughter with a hard eye. She was beautiful, was the Lady Margaret, tall and fair and royal to the core of her. She waged war for the Lord Christ, as her husband the king waged war for Scotland, with heart and soul and a fierce deadly sense of honour. Edith did not have the sense to keep her eyes lowered in proper submission. Staring at her mother was like staring at the sun. It could strike a person blind. But Edith was fascinated. Wherever Margaret was, the world was overwhelmingly solid. Edith could not see through it at all. Margaret reached from her tall chair, taking Edith's chin in firm, cool fingers and tipping it so that her face caught the light. The queen sighed faintly. Well, child, she said, I see they did their best, but that you are a wild thing no one could possibly mistake. It's time to make a Christian of you. Edith, very carefully, said nothing. There were no folk of the air in this cold, still room. No creatures at all but the queen and her ladies, and the pair of little bright-eyed dogs that crouched watchfully at Margaret's feet. The dogs might have had something to say, but they chose not to say it. Margaret, who reckoned them dumb animals, 
paid no attention. Having searched Edith's face, she let it go and folded her long white hands in her lap. Tomorrow, she said, you will go. The letters have been sent. Your aunt, the abbess, will be expecting you. A shiver ran down Edith's spine. She could not help it then. She had to ask. My aunt? You're giving me to an abbey? You're making me a nun? We are offering you to God, said the queen. It was like a door shutting. But I thought, said Edith, not wisely at all, that I was to be fostered, and when I was older, sent to be married, not... You are to be fostered. That was a voice Edith had not heard before.